0: Let me invite you now to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. There's a Bible in the seat in front of you, or if you're in the front row, maybe behind you. We encourage you to take those out and leave those open as we go through this awesome Scripture text in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. Uh, Here's one thing we need to remember about the Bible is whenever the Bible talks about the stories of someone being born, it's very important. Often throughout the Old and the New Testament, whenever it gives focus to this, it means that God is getting ready to bring about redemption. Especially here in this text, when there's so much that is written about the birth of Jesus, then we must expect a very big redemption. Luke chapter 1, verse 39 to 56. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women! And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we are able to hear about the birth of Jesus. Father, we might be here wondering what this is about. Maybe we're here and we know what this is about, but we don't believe it. Father, maybe we're here and we believe it, but we're, we're like the man who came to Jesus saying, I believe, but help my unbelief. Father, wherever we are, we need to know that Jesus has been born for people like us. To so help us by faith to see him. Help us by faith to believe your promises. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. The late musician, Christian artist, Rich Mullins, has a song called Creed in which he says this, I believe what I believe. It's what makes me what I am. I did not make it. No, it is making me. It is the very truth of God and not the invention of any man. Brothers and sisters, you are what you believe. You will become what you believe. What you believe is what makes you who you are. But the question is this, is it true what you believe? Is it powerful what you believe? Can it actually change you, what you believe? The song of Rich Mullins is certainly talking about the Apostles' Creed. And in the Apostles' Creed, which is a very familiar familiar creed to our church, in it it says, what do we believe? We believe in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord. Now listen to this. Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian, that is what you believe. And that truth is making you, but you didn't make it. And that truth is powerful to change you. It's not the invention of any man, it is the truth of God. What this Christmas season is about, it is about remembering what is true. It's about remembering what we believe. We can very often get caught up in the checklists we need to accomplish, the presents we need to buy, the people we need to visit, the dishes we need to make. All that is good and great, but do not miss the biggest thing about it, that there was someone who came to earth and he was not born by normal birth, but he was born of the Virgin Mary. Mary. And by believing in who Jesus Christ is for us, it will change you. Brothers and sisters, what we believe is that the Messiah has come and that the Messiah has brought his kingdom. I'm going to talk a lot about today what's called the Messianic Kingdom. And by that, just simply what I mean is the kingdom of the Messiah, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom that Jesus brings. So whenever you hear, messianic kingdom that's what I'm referring to but first off before we look into our text we need to ask the question what have we been waiting for we have been waiting for the messiah to bring his kingdom the messianic kingdom is what the messiah would bring but what is that kingdom What exactly, uh, as part of that kingdom, have we been waiting for? Well, this goes all the way back, actually, to Genesis 3. Way back in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, when they were on this earth, Adam as our covenant head, what would happen to Adam would be the fate for all of us. And Adam sinned. And he sinned because he believed the lie of Satan, who had manifested himself as a serpent... And when God pronounces the curse upon Adam and Eve and Satan in Genesis 3.15, in the curse, God gives a promise. And he promises that eventually one day, born of woman, there would be someone who would crush the serpent. All the way back in the very beginning, God has promised that he would bring about a Messiah. And this kingdom that the Messiah would bring would crush the serpent. Fast forwarding to Genesis 15 with the story of Abraham and when God had sacrificed animals, or Abraham, excuse me, had had cut these animals in halves and had laid them on either side and God alone passed through those animals signifying that he would atone for our sins. He was further witnessing to the truth that this Messiah, this one who would crush the serpent, would do so by sacrificing himself. In Exodus 19 and 20, we see God on Mount Sinai appearing to Moses. And he is is revealing the Ten Commandments, showing this is God's standard if you are to come back into God's presence. But obviously the law of God reveals to us our sin, but here is furthering the promise of this snake crusher, this atoning sacrifice, this Messiah. The kingdom he would bring would be a kingdom that fulfills the law. He would fulfill the law for us. That's how we can come back into God's presence. And even when we see our sins in light of God's law, this law keeper would come to us law breakers and forgive our sins. Amen? The kingdom of the Messiah would be a kingdom of forgiveness for people who have broken God's law. That's what they were waiting for. They were waiting also for this kingdom to bring new life Life that would make hearts of stone turn to hearts of flesh. We see that in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36 and 37. People who could never make themselves alive would be made alive by someone else. But this kingdom would also be this. It would be an everlasting kingdom. It would be a kingdom that would conquer all others that would never be threatened, that would always win. This kingdom was promised to David in 2 Samuel 7 that someone from his line would arise to the throne. And when he came to the throne, he would bring in the kingdom that would be stable, that would be universal. My friends, the Messiah alone brings in these things. And that Messiah is who we have been waiting for. Here's what's interesting. After all these promises that God would finally defeat Satan, that he would take care of our sins, that he would expel them from us, that he would forgive us, that he would change our hearts, and that he would bring in the kingdom, those promises, they seem to have failed. Because there was a time period As you know, between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, there was a time period of around 400 years of prophetic silence. And it made people think that maybe God had forgotten them. Do you feel that way? Maybe this Christmas season makes you think that God has forgotten you. Maybe in ways you feel that is whenever you're going to go home and inevitably you will update your family and your friends about parts of your life. And as you do that, maybe you will feel this sense of emptiness, realizing that what you told them that you wanted to do, you're not doing. And maybe you begin to think in those moments that, well, I thought God would help me. I thought God would be with me wherever I went, but it seems as if he forgot me. Maybe you feel as if God has forgotten you because there will be one less person this year than there are stockings by your fireplace. Maybe that is because of a death of a loved one. Or maybe that's because you have a rebellious child or family member who has run away and they won't come home. You feel as if God has forgotten you. I have two former youth students from different places who I know will not be going home unless the Lord does a significant work, but most likely they will not be coming home this year for Christmas because they are in rebellion, and I know how those parents feel. Certainly thoughts of, I thought God loved us. Maybe you wish you could have bought more presents for your family and friends, but finances are tight because of the hospital bills, because of an unexpected injury or illness this year. And the more you think about that, and the more you think about that injury, illness, and maybe the financial struggles, you begin to think, can God bring anything good out of this? My friends, how... How have you been tempted to think that God has forgotten you? Maybe it seems as if Satan's kingdom is more powerful than God's. Maybe your conscience is eating you up over your own sin so badly that it feels as if Jesus isn't enough to take away your sins. Maybe you're going through spiritually dry seasons where it appears as if God is, he's done putting up with you and he's left you. Or maybe when you reflect on your life and you see yourself still struggling with the same sins that you said you would have stopped this time last year. Or maybe your evangelistic efforts of sharing the gospel appear to be useless. Or maybe your family devotions seem to be fruitless. We're all asking the question, where is this kingdom? Can we hope in it? You know, actually something that's interesting is some people have the tradition of not putting presents under the Christmas tree until the day of Christmas. They don't like us, as one of my good friends says, us barbarians who dare to open presents on Christmas Eve. But they will wait to put presents under the tree until Christmas Day. But there's actually something very interesting about that that can help us with this truth. Is that maybe when you put up your tree, even for some barbarians, before Thanksgiving, and you go almost a month without seeing anything under the tree. Every day you walk into the house and you look at that tree and it has lights, maybe ornaments, but there's nothing under the tree. Day after day happens, and maybe if you're Maybe if you're a child, you begin to think, did they remember my list? Are they going to remember to provide for me? Or are they going to remember to give to me? You see, isn't that actually what Christmas reminds us of? Is God going to come through? That's what they were wondering. That's what these Israelites were wondering for so long Is God going to give? Because it seems as if he's forgotten. But brothers and sisters, Christmas is the reminder that when we least expect God to redeem us, that we should expect it. Amen? When we least expect God to redeem us, when we least expect him to bring his kingdom, we should expect it. We believe that the Messiah, 2,000 years ago, that he has brought his kingdom. He's brought it. Now let's look at our text. Look at verse 39. Who has finally come? That's what we've been waiting for, but who, who has finally come? In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah, and she entered the, the house of Zechariah. And greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth had heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Remember the context here of what happened earlier. Zachariah was told by an angel that his wife uh, would have a child. And he struggled to believe that. And because of his unbelief, he was uh, disciplined with being mute. So, when Mary appears to Zachariah's house, it is very interesting to see him still mute, not able to speak. And she appears to this home, and she's greeted by Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John the Baptist. The Baptist is not his last name, uh, just to make clear. And here's what's fascinating. That when Mary appears, look at verse forty-one. What happens? The baby leaped in her womb. That's crazy. If you've ever seen a woman pregnant and when a child's moving, you see just like the skin like going. It's just it's kind of crazy. And you 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 know you think about like some of you know this obviously what it must feel like to have a baby leap in your womb. That's wild to me. But this is what happens. This picture of leaping is actually this word, uh, a picture of sheep hopping for joy. It's actually the picture of this. It's the picture of whenever you receive amazing news and whenever you finally get to be by yourself, maybe you punch the air in excitement or... You're so giddy and you do the happy dance or you're skipping or whatever it is. That's the the sense of what this word is. Leaping in the womb. We also need to see this, my friends, and this is very relevant for today, that this is a baby. In the womb, even this early in pregnancy for Elizabeth, and by the way, Also for Mary, who at this point would probably not be showing, that a baby in the womb is reacting to a baby in the womb. Children. At the moment of conception. My friends, maybe that challenges you to remember what God says about life, but also maybe it convicts you because... Maybe that is something that you have done, is that you have had an abortion. My friends, let me remind you of this. What Christmas season reminds us is that even though that is a child, God has come to save sinners. Praise God, right? He's come to save sinners, people who have done murderous deeds like David and Paul. You, if you've had an abortion, are not barred from salvation. You are compelled to come find it in Christ. Because Jesus Christ was born for murderous people. He's come to save wretches like us. We must hold forth the biblical ethic, but yet also the forgiveness of sins in Christ. What's so fascinating is that this would have been John the Baptist's first prophecy. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Some of you think maybe I'm, I'm too little or young or I don't have that platform yet to be used. Guys, John's in the womb, <laughs> Who has been ushered in here? What is John excited about? He's excited about the Messiah. The Messiah has come. The Messiah has come to bring in his kingdom. My friends, in real sense, the Messiah has come. And this demands a response from us. And we must remember this, that having no response to this is a response. My friends, you are all called to embrace this. The Messiah has come. And you are either in his kingdom or not. But notice what happens to Elizabeth. This is awesome. Look at the second part of verse 41. It says, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice that it happened to her, not something that she just worked up on her own. It happened to her. Let me give a couple of notes here before I talk about what this means. Notice this is not what happened when she was filled with the Spirit, that she just spoke gibberish. Notice that it wasn't as if she just came up with her own opinions. Notice that it was not self-centered. That is not what it means to be filled with the Spirit. What was it? It was based on Scripture. She is filled with the Spirit, and she is seeing that Genesis 3.15, that the snake crusher has come. It's focused on the Word. It's exalting Christ, not her. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit does not draw attention to us. Being filled with the Spirit draws attention without us. Now, what happens when she's filled with the Spirit? Here's what's amazing throughout Scripture is that whenever you see moments like this when the Holy Spirit rushes upon someone or fills someone, you see this in the book of Judges, you see it with David, you even see it with the tabernacle builders or Paul and Peter preaching. Whenever you see the Spirit rushing upon someone, filling someone, it means God's about to bring about a work of redemption. It means God's about to visit his people. So Jewish people, the original audience who knew their Old Testament, whenever they would first read this, they would say, Ooh, Something's about to happen. And yes, it is. The moment is happening. The Messiah has come. Notice what Elizabeth declares. She says, blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now watch this. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord has come to me? This is what's crazy. There is a child in Mary's womb, and Elizabeth is calling that child her Lord. This word for Lord would have been the equivalent for Yahweh in the Old Testament. Let me put this in perspective. The God who parted the Red Sea, who delivered the Israelites through the Red Sea and then crushed the Egyptian army, is now in that womb. The God who is the sovereign. The God who brought all things into existence. The God who is always running the world has now taken on flesh and is in that womb. That's crazy. But that's what Elizabeth is is saying. That this baby, this real human being who would be born is also God. That's who the Messiah is. The Messiah would be Yahweh who would come in the flesh to deliver his people. This is what we believe, brothers and sisters. We believe that the Messiah has brought his kingdom. That's what Elizabeth is declaring. We also believe that the Messiah brings his blessing. Look at verse 45. And blessed is she who believe that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. It's also worth noting this. Notice in this text that this is not worship of Mary. This is not worship of Mary. There should be no worship of Mary. Mary was so special, so blessed for this moment in redemptive history. But she is never to be worshiped. She's never to be worshipped. Paul's never to be worshipped. Peter's never to be worshipped. No one but God Almighty is to be worshipped. There is not one ounce of our salvation that we get from Mary. Mary is incredible. But Mary was also a wretch like you and me. We do not worship Mary. But we also see this. That the blessing of Mary here is not primarily because she gave birth. But please hear me. Yes, childbearing is a blessing. But it's not primarily because she gave birth. Notice what the text says. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her. See that her blessedness... Is also tied to her believing God's word. That's what's amazing. St. Augustine said this Mary was more blessed in accepting the faith of Christ than in conceiving the flesh of Christ. Jesus himself would say this in Luke 11 27 and 28. There's someone who, when Jesus was preaching, It says, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But here's what Jesus said in response. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. The primary blessing is that Mary would believe that this baby, which is so crazy, that the baby she is going to give birth to, that she would bow down to that baby as Lord. You see, it's because she believed God's word. Yet again, Augustine following up on that verse says this, even her maternal relationship would have done Mary no good unless she had borne Christ more happily in her heart than in her flesh. My friends, do you want to be blessed? Believe in God's promises. Do you want to be blessed? Believe in who this child is. That's the blessing. Because that's where salvation is. That's what we believe. We believe that this child, this baby, is the Messiah, and this Messiah has brought his kingdom. Now, the question is this how will we respond? Look at verse 46, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. It's actually so fascinating in this incredible song of Mary. Here's what's actually amazing before I go into this. Y'all know Luke was a doctor. And what Luke did is that he went around and he interviewed people who had these interactions with Jesus. And this would have been years after this actual event. But notice how amazing this moment was for Mary that she can remember, certainly by the Holy Spirit, but also too how she can remember praising the baby in her womb. Isn't that wild? There's a a lot of similarities between Mary's song here and Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2. One of my seminary professors, Benjamin Glad, points this out. And some of the similarities here is this, is that Hannah, who was childless in in 1 Samuel 2, she would give birth to Samuel. Samuel would be the prophet who would anoint David to be king. Let me tie all this together. In the Old Testament, David had escalated the kingdom of Israel to such a level where forever after that, all the Israelites would say, we want the glory days back when David was here. And there was the promise that God gave to David saying, look, there's going to be a greater you who will come to the throne and he's going to make the kingdom even greater. So they wanted the days of David. So actually, what's so interesting here is that as Mary is declaring these things, she's being reminded of Hannah, here's what's happening. Mary sees that something greater than David is here. That's what she's saying. Mary is seeing that even where David and Israel had failed, this child would not. She sees in this song that the poor who believe in the Messiah will actually be seated on thrones, that God's enemies will finally be defeated and a true exodus will happen for God's people. It's a fascinating comparison between the two texts. But here's what we can see also in this. See how saturated with scripture Mary was. You not see how rooted in scripture she she was We need to remember also that being filled with the Spirit is not getting extra biblical knowledge. It's actually biblical knowledge being rooted in the text. We need to remember for us believers is that we will grow in our expectation of the Messianic kingdom when we grow in our literacy about the kingdom. You will grow in seeing... As it were, the unseen things, the more you know about the unseen things. I, I remember reading about one English professor who said that in today's world, we don't live in an illiterate age, meaning that people can't read. We live in an all-literate age, meaning we don't read. That was even just in the English departments. I think we could say the very same thing about Christianity today. It's it's not that we don't have access to the Bible. We have more access to the Bible now than ever before in the history of the world. It's not that we can't read the Bible. We, especially in the West, we have a modern education. We know how to read words and not just look at pictures, as I was mentioning earlier. It's that we don't read the Bible. We just simply don't. And because we don't, we fail to expect God to be at work. My friends, what Christmas should remind you of is to come back to the Word, to pour into the Scriptures. Because the more you pour into the Scriptures, the more you will be able to see that God is at work. That's why. is so saturated with Scripture. She believes that this is the Messiah who is bringing in the kingdom. So here's what she does. She magnifies God. She magnifies God for the Messianic kingdom. Look at verse 47, "My soul rejoices in God, my Savior." Here is how Mary sees the Messianic kingdom. Here's where she sees the Messiah, is that he, she, uh, God would be her savior. All throughout the book of Luke. actually, what's really interesting is that this song right here is a good theme of what will happen in the book of Luke, is that in the book of Luke, we will see Jesus approach the worst of the worst. Because, my friends, no one is too far off to be saved. If you think you're too far off to be saved, you're not believing what Scripture says about you. No matter what heinous deeds you've done, Jesus Christ is ready to move towards you, to save you. He's a savior of sinners. But also this, the kingdom of the Messiah is seen by redemptive reversal. Look at verses 48 to 49. Notice How the humble are exalted and the exalted are humbled that's actually what will happen now here's what this is not saying it's not saying that if you are rich you are bad and if you are poor you are good that's not what it's saying but what it is saying is this is that the circumstances in life whether rich or poor should cause us to reflect on who God is. My friends, whether you are rich or you are poor, are those circumstances making you depend upon God or are they making you proud? What tends to happen is that often people who go through, whether poverty or illness or whatever it is, it does seem to be just a natural experience that, They are so humble that they're ready to look outside of themselves for a savior. But that's not always the case, obviously. But the whole point of it is this. The whole point of it is, are your life circumstances making you look for a Messiah? Because those who are humble, those who know they have nothing, when they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be exalted. And those who do not, those who think that, they're exalted and they don't need anyone. They're the ones who will be cast down. I love what, once again, Benjamin Glad says this, the defeat of those authorities, that Jesus, the defeat Jesus is going to have over sin, Satan, and death, it kicks the door wide open for those whom the devil has long held captive, the marginalized and the Gentiles. See, what we're going to see in the book of Luke, if you would keep reading is how the Pharisees and the high priest and the rulers and the rich they don't think they need a messiah and they're humbled but those who are the tax collectors the poor the lepers the women the sinners and when they know they need a messiah they're the ones who are exalted amen never think you are too low to be exalted <clears throat> by the savior the kingdom is also seen by Mary here in verse 50. It's seen in mercy. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Notice that it is mercy and mercy cannot be demanded. Listen to this. To be merciful is to give unconditional and covenantal embrace Given to those who deserve the opposite by a free and unobligated giver. Listen to this again. What does it mean to be merciful? To give unconditional and covenantal embrace. And it's given to those people who deserve the exact opposite. And who is it given by? It's given by someone who is unobligated and free. That's what it means for God to be merciful to us. He doesn't give it to us because we deserve it. That would not be mercy by definition. But rather he gives us compassion even though we offend against him. It is for those who fear him, it says. I think it's so interesting what Mary is pointing out. It's not for those who just take God lightly or just treat him trivially or just have a relationship to him by name only. But it's those who rejoice and tremble before him. Those who know before God Almighty that they have nothing. And my friends, when you are in a spot when you realize you have nothing and that he is the righteous one, you're actually in a good spot. Because when you come to him with your emptiness, he gives you himself. That's how you see the kingdom of the Messiah. We see also in verses 50 and 55 talking about from generation to generation and you know, to Abraham and to his offspring forever, that God is covenantal, he is faithful. We see also in verses 51 and 52 that God will protect his people from their enemies. Mary is talking also about, here's how you see the kingdom of the Messiah, is that he will provide for what's most needed. Look at verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Do you want to know how one of the tangible ways in which we see the kingdom at work today is when God's people provide for others. It's when they graciously give. But they give. We also see in verse 54 we see redemption. He has helped his servant Israel and in remembrance, or excuse me, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Here's what we see as Mary is declaring this incredible song is that God will lower those who are exalted and he will raise those who are humbled. All those who believe in the Messiah will have a redemptive reversal as it were. My friends, it does not matter how poor you are. It doesn't matter how oppressed you are. It doesn't matter how cast off you are, how forgotten you are, how overlooked you are. When you come to Jesus Christ, you will be exalted. That's what he does. And that should give great hope to us who are wondering when in the world is the darkness gonna end? When in the world, as it were, are the presence gonna appear under the tree? Keep looking to him. See, here is ultimately what Jesus will do. Benjamin Glad again says this, Mary's song, therefore, is the ultimate realization of Hannah's request. Jesus, the true son of David, will finally secure the throne and he will vanquish evil. That's what the Messianic kingdom brings in. Here is what you're called to do. You're called to respond What does that mean? It means this. Where will you find atonement and forgiveness for your sins? You can only find it in the Messiah. Where will you find new life? You will only find it in his kingdom. Where will you find a kingdom that will never be defeated? And as Revelation talks about a kingdom so secure that it can always leave its gates open. You can only find it in Christ. That's what the Christmas season reminds you of. And my friends, it is only as you believe in Christ that you have this kingdom. One day, C.S. Lewis was sitting in his office in the English department with a friend. And this friend was an unbeliever. And as this friend was in uh, C.S. Lewis' office, they had heard some carolers down below in the courtyard, and they were singing Christmas carols. And one of the songs that came up was about the virgin birth of Jesus. And so C.S. Lewis's friend, this unbeliever, said to him, isn't it good to know, or excuse me, isn't it good that we now know that nothing like this can happen? And C.S. Lewis said, what do you mean? Well, Isn't it good that we now know more than they did back then? Again, C.S. Lewis says, I'm afraid that you'll have to explain. Here's what his friend said. Well, isn't it good that we now know that virgins don't have babies? That is good news. Virgins don't have babies. What makes it good news is because what we could not do, God did. You guys alive this morning? What you could not do, God did. When the darkness was overwhelming, God brings light. When your sin is a mountain, he vanquishes it. When you could not atone for your sins, he went to the cross. My friends, if there is one hope for you today, is that you would believe him. Because virgins don't give birth. Sinners can't save themselves, but Jesus can do it, amen? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to believe in he who is the Messiah. Help us to believe that he is the one who has come for us, not the us who we try to pretend we wish we were. So as we look to him, help us to believe, and may that truth change us. May it make us. May it remake us. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.